The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 177 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. So glad you decided to check in with us again this week. We have an episode that I know I will never forget, and I think you are going to love it. But first of all, we want to thank a couple of new reviewers on Apple Podcasts. Uh, The first one is Listening Cleaning Mom, who uh, says she listens while she cleans her house every Monday. Uh, She said that she missed us when we were gone and are grateful that we're back. Well, listening, cleaning mom, thank you so much for the kind words and the five-star review. Also, Janice Marie Utah. Uh, Another great interview is what she said here. Whenever I get asked which podcast I listen to, yours is always the first one I suggest. And she goes on to say some very nice things. Thank you so much, uh, Janice. Appreciate all the kind words. We love these reviews. We're up to 507 total ratings, and they really help us to be found when people are searching for good content. All right, my guest this week, Dorinda Nicholson, holy cow, what an amazing woman. I so thoroughly enjoyed speaking with her. Um, She is known as the Pearl Harbor child. We're going to talk all about that. Uh, She was a six-year-old little girl living in Pearl City when the Pearl Harbor attack happened. And I could have talked to Dorinda for about 10 hours about her childhood and her life. She is a wonderful, amazing woman. And to get to hear a firsthand account of Pearl Harbor uh, was just absolutely amazing. And coming up this week, Standing in Sacred Places. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, what a blessing it is here on the Latter-day Lives podcast to have a guest who is a part, a true part of American history, something that none of us uh, will ever forget uh, that that it happened. Uh, And that, of course, is Pearl Harbor. Dorinda Nichols, welcome to the show. Thank you. Mahalo for having me on and uh, to get to visit about Pearl Harbor. And oh, I'm so I, excited to get to know you. You reached out to us and uh, I told our producer, Gene, I just said, this is a guest we need to have on. So before we jump into your life, tell us your middle name, Dorinda. My middle name is Makana Lani, and it means the gift of the heavens. Mm. So imagine having to live up to being the gift of the heaven. <laughs> and when you look at Hawaiian, I like to tell people that think of it as your um, website name or your uh, email address. If you knew Hawaiian, well, okay, say if that was written in English. Mm. And so I wrote gift of the heavens all together your eyes and your brain would pick that out. But when you do it, M-A-K-A-N-A-O-N-A-L-A-N-I, it just looks unpronounceable. Actually, Hawaiian is 
very pronounceable. And so you just look for where a vowel is. And then if there's a consonant, that's when you stop. It's beautiful. So, So tell us now... Not as slow, your middle name. Tell us in, in the regular cadence what your middle name is. Makana Onalani, the gift of the heavens. So beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about uh, about your younger years. Were you born in Hawaii? I was born and raised in Hawaii. Yeah. And uh, my mother is Hawaiian from the island of Hawaii, uh, nicknamed the Big Island or Hawaii yeah. Island. Right. And she joined the church when she was a young girl. Mm. And um, I have to share one story that I love that she has shared with me about the church. Uh, Joseph F. Smith was a missionary in the islands at that time. And one day, um, Grandmama was home when the police knocked at the door and asked if Grandmama had seen any Mormon missionaries. Well, Grandmama did not want to lie, uh, and she couldn't really see him <laughs> at that very moment. So she said no <laughs> and hid him from the police. And there is a story that has, uh, remember when we used to get the church news and on the back, there was always uh, a little uh, article that was a history. And this was written up in there that when Joseph F. uh, was in the temple uh, on one of his uh, visits, uh, he started talking to Grandmama his um, mentor and protector in Hawaii. So I love, I love to know that story. And uh, when my mother was sick and in the hospital and I went to visit her, one of the very first things I said, and I took uh, one of our sons with us, mom, tell us that story. And we recorded it. Oh, how wonderful. What a beautiful heritage you have. That is just awesome. And so you were born um, then in Oahu. I was born on Oahu. My mother met my father. I I think this is so unusual. Um, But here is a girl from Hawaii who just had barely finished high school. Her family puts their money together and sends her to Salt Lake City so that she can go to college. And this is in the 30s. Wow. Not hardly anyone in Utah itself in the 30s is going to travel 20 miles north or south. Or <laughs> So here she is living at the Beehive home. And she is babysitting, cleaning houses. Uh, ironing, doing anything to support herself while she earns a college degree. It takes her nine years. Wow. And on a blind date, she meets a boy from Independence, Missouri, who's stationed at Fort Douglas. Mm. And they meet on a blind date and they get married and tell no one. 
So when she graduates, she goes back to Hawaii and then works really hard to save money so that he can come. And uh, so she goes home with a diploma and a husband and <laughs> her family's not all that excited. Uh, that's, that is a wild story. So this led to you guys ending up in Oahu. Do you have siblings? My, I had a brother uh, who actually was the first Polynesian to earn a doctorate from BYU, Utah. Awesome. Oh, Very how proud cool is that? of that. Yeah, that's And neat. then he became a professor at BYU, Hawaii. Oh, that's great. And then he died of cancer four mm. years ago. Um, sorry. And I told him he couldn't, you know, we can't go out of order. And he didn't <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Sounds like an amazing man. So tell us a little bit about your childhood then, pre-Pearl Harbor attack. Okay, so um, here's my Hawaiian mother. And um, and this young boy, recent veteran. He's not Polynesian, correct? No, no. Got it. Uh, he grew up, uh, he was born in Tennessee, grew up in Independence, Missouri, which is the home of that time called the Reorganized RLDS right. Church, yep. of which his family was very prominent. And that was the reason for them to leave Tennessee to go to independence. Mm. Uh, so he's not interested in the church, um, never shows any interest in the church. The only job he could get was picking pineapples. Mm. So my birth certificate says, mother, occupation, housewife. Father, occupation, pineapple picker. <laughs> I love it. I do uh, too. Isn't I mean, that who, else has, who else has a birth certificate that says pineapple picker? Oh, that's wonderful, Dorinda. <laughs> that's great. So here comes Dorinda now. Now they've got this beautiful daughter. And uh, what was life like growing up for you? Um, we moved to Pearl City Peninsula, the springtime of 1941. Mm. My mother got a job with Pan American World Airways on the very tip of Pearl City Peninsula, Pan American World Airways. Their docks, their base, mm. their clipper airplanes. Mom can walk to work. Dad can drive to the Honolulu post office. Mm, perfect. So little did we know that we had just bought ourselves a front row and back row seat to being in the middle of America's largest military base. Yeah, so you moved there just a few months before the attack. Yes. Wow. All right, so how old were you when you moved there? I was six. Do you remember the move well? Like, do you remember before the attack? Do you remember moving? I 
loved it. I loved it. We had a neighborhood. I'm sure that, you know, we're set in Hawaii, but you know, a week later, we get all those radio programs. We get Fibber McGee and Molly and The Shadow and uh, The Lone Ranger. And then the movies, we get them, you know, several months later. So, you know, we got our American stuff uh, going on around us. And then, you know, nobody locks up the dogs or the cats. And you play ball in the middle of the street and you roller skate up and down your sidewalk. And with my dog, Hula Girl, um, we'd ride down to the pier and to the dock. And your dog's name was Hula Girl? Of course, my dog's name was Hula Girl. <laughs> what was your dog's it. name? Oh, my dog when <laughs> I was little, uh, Muffin was my dog's name. Oh, but I wasn't cute. living in Hawaii, so. I know. But I have to tell you why her name was Hula Girl. Mm. Her name was Hula Girl because at nighttime, mom came home and taught Hula. Really? In our living room on our linoleum rug, the Vitrola. Oh, yeah. With the lid that lifted up. And the turntable, it goes on the 78 record player and goes scratchy, scratchy, scratchy. The 78 RPMs, you bet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my dog joined us. So So the dog would jump in and do the hula with you She, Well, she could wiggle. I just named her Hula Girl. Did your parents, do you know if they ever worried about being that close to a military base? Uh Uh-uh. They never had thought about it. Yeah, listen. War wasn't going to happen. December 7th wasn't supposed to happen. No. And we used to pick up soldiers and sailors and give them rides and not worried at all. So you're living just this wonderful life. You're in a new place, a new house. You got Hula Girl running around with you. And then we suddenly move into December. So let's let's get into let's get into the attack. I mean, here it is the night before you've gone to bed. Yes. The whole family just goes to bed, normal night. Hula lessons are over. Hula girls passed Hula out. Hula girls on the bed. We're all, we're we're all, all just asleep. fine. And then what's what's your next memory from there? The I'm up. My brother is asleep. And we had to be to church at 9. And so at 7.30, mom's making breakfast. And so mom and I and... Uh, hula girl are in the kitchen and we start to hear airplanes now we always hear airplanes because that's right. where we live but not on a sunday morning mm. the army and the navy there was no air force then the army and the navy would practice battles against each other the red planes and the blue planes but Not on Sunday morning. So we say like almost everybody, even the men in the harbor, wow, Sunday morning? And then we start feeling and hearing shells and explosions and we could start feeling them. And that's when dad comes running into the kitchen and he says, those sound real. And to the screen door, I'm right with him. The screen door slams, goes down the steps. 
my dad and I stand in our front yard, barely above our house, barely above the trees, we see torpedo bombers. My gosh. And they are tipping their wings. I can see the pilots. They've got goggles over their eyes. Wow. From the harbor, there's this oily, 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 oily black smoke just reaching and reaching and reaching up into the sky and explosions and noise and sound. Dad runs into the house and he's like, you know, 24, 25, um, 6,000 miles from Independence, Missouri. Grabs my baby brother out of the crib. Mom, me, puts us in the back seat of our 39 black Ford sedan and drives away. And I am my nose pressed to the glass because there's Hula Girl coming after us. Oh. I said, Dad, stop. Dad, no, I can't stop. And he takes us up into the sugarcane fields to hide. Wow. So we're up in the sugarcane fields, which are up high on the hills. Now we can really see the harbor and see the airplanes. My goodness. How terrifying. Six years old. If you have mom and dad and baby brother, the people you love the most in the world, why be scared? And Mm. I'm going home and I'll get Hula Girl. I'm okay. Even with everything and, you saw, you felt that way. Yeah. Wow, oh, I didn't know what amazing. those planes were. I don't know. I'm fine. So you were not scared. You're not up there scared. with your family. Were there other families that were up there yes, with you? Yes, other families started running away. Yeah. Uh, and by the time we're running away, there are trucks. Um, and we have to pull off the road some of the times because there are men hanging off trucks, pulling on. Uh, trousers and getting shirts on and uh, I'm sure reporting to their bases. And so the rest of the families are coming up. The kids are playing. Wow. The kids are just playing. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that's what you do. You're a kid. We're a kid. We're playing. How many miles away was this from the actual harbor? A mile. Above. only, Only about a mile away, but you were above. Yes. Did you did your parents worry that the attack might oh, oh, spread oh, out further? Now I know because I interviewed my dad. I waited 25 years because mm. that's when I first wrote the story. I inter- started interviewing everybody and I saw all the parents worry. Car radio twisting the dials, trying to get, you know, there's no Walter Cronkite saying it's the Japanese look out. 2,400 of you are going to die. It's like the announcer comes on and he says, this is the real McCoy. Mm. Stay off the phone. Do not leave your house. Military, get to your bases immediately. Mm. All medical personnel report to the nearest hospital to treat the wounded and the injured. And then it went off the air. 
Wow. So yeah, I guess at this point, you don't even know that it's the Japanese. You just know Mm-mm. that you're being attacked. Mm-mm. That's all you know. Wow. You don't know. So Dorinda, you know. how, how long were you up in the sugar cane? Okay. So two o'clock in the afternoon comes our governor. And our governor says that he has had communication with President Roosevelt. Was this over the radio? Yes. Okay. And uh, President Roosevelt is putting Hawaii under martial law. Mm. And immediately the military will be in charge, not our local officer friendly. So that's two o'clock. The sun is getting lower. He, my dad, I'm saying, dad, I, you know, hula girl, can we go home now? About then the military come in with guns and tell all of us, no, we are not going home. We're the only ones that this happens to. We cannot go home. There are bullets in our yard. There are unexploded bombs. Yeah. We cannot go home. Wow. So they take us to Waipahu Sugar Plantation. And that is on a slope, not as high. But this is where they're processing and burning the sugar cane to turn into sugar. Right. They will take care of us. They put us in the recreation hall. And so that's where all of us have to go, cannot go home. And the people in town bring us pillows and blankets and they stay in their house. And so that night, the very first blackout in all of Hawaii, you may not turn on one light. Mm. You may not use your phone. You may not call anybody. You stay in your house. That's when the fear starts. Oh, yeah, because it's very dark. Sure. You're all together. The rumors. You know what? I bet. I bet when we, when the sun comes up in the morning, I bet there'll be Japanese around us. We now know it's Japan. We now, we can see this the fire from the harbor and then the other way that it gets scared and it takes me 50 years to get an answer all of a sudden at dark the harbor lights up again and and all of us think the Japanese have come back there is fire and bullets going on at Pearl Harbor It takes me 50 years to find out it's friendly fire. We are shooting down the American pilots off the USS Enterprise. I get to meet the the surviving pilot 50 years later. Wow. Oh, scary. This is amazing. How long was the original actual attack? It was was about two hours. It started at 7.50 in the morning. So those of you going to Pearl Harbor this year uh, for the 80th anniversary, when you are sitting there at the harbor, everything will start at 7.50. The first wave comes, does its deal. 
then the second wave comes, does its part of the attack, there was to have been a third wave. The third wave would have taken out all our oil and gasoline tanks and supplies and would have destroyed the repair docks. We would have been totally destroyed. Wow. No way to fuel anything. Uh, no way to repair anything. But the reports of the very first two of the planes that are now reporting back to the secret attack force that made its way secretly all the way to Hawaii returned and reported and said, the aircraft carriers aren't there. They are supposed to be by the Utah. They aren't in port. So the decision is made right then. Cancel the third wave. We don't know where those aircraft carriers are. Mm. We only, they had six aircraft carriers. We had two. One was out of commission. But Pearl Harbor is not supposed to be attacked. We are sending supplies to the Philippines, sent them supplies. The enterprise is just now returning, and it's at Hawaii Island. Mm. What a wild turn of events, you know? I mean, all of this... You know, the, the difference in communication in 1941 versus yes. 2021. Yes. But let's, so let's go back to the the sugar processing plant. You're there with your family. Yes. And how long were you there? We were there about four or five days, almost a week. That's because, a long time. Um, and again, that's because you have to go in and clear the area. Right. So um, they had to fill the whole peninsula. Yeah. And whereas my dad went to work at the post office from uh, the sugarcane plantation mm. and his job was to censor the mail and no mail is going to come in or come out and think of his mom and dad in Independence, Missouri. They know where we mm. live. Yeah. They know Pearl Harbor's been attacked. But they can't call. No, we, nobody can call. You cannot even send a wire. Wow. So here are all these people on the mainland had no idea how their family Uh, was. No, because it's for the military emergency use only. Wow. It took mail six weeks. But then when it got to Hawaii, it got opened by the censors. So everything had to be censored to check. Yes, I mean, was, you might be a traitor. Yeah, there was a lot of paranoia at that time. Some of oh, the was, and, and all those Japanese in Hawaii. Yeah, and most people don't realize this: thirty thousand Japanese in Hawaii. Mm. A third of, almost half of the population of Hawaii was Japanese. Wow! All these things swirling together. Yeah. All together at one time. So after after four or five days, you're given the all clear. They've gone in and 
checked, yes. taken away any shrapnel, whatever. Uh, you no, know, they you didn't know. take away shrapnel because I picked some of those up and I would pick up bullets and I'd make whistles out of them and oh, picked no. up a bomb. Somebody stole it. We used it as a doorstop forever and ever. Um, we found an empty bomb casing, picked up explosive things that would explode. We picked up things that wouldn't explode. Oh, that wouldn't explode. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. So wouldn't. shells so shells and things like that were just Shells left. and shrapnel we could pick up. Shells and shrapnel were just left. Yes. So so do you remember returning to your house what that was like? Uh-huh. And and now I'm almost worried to ask, but hula girl? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yes. So we're coming home. I'm hanging out the window. Hula girl, hula girl, hula girl. Jump out of the car, hula girl, hula girl. Got up in the mango tree, hula girl, hula girl. You know, hula girl. So I'm going to bed. Oh, get on the bicycle. Okay, go, go, go find her. No, hula girl. So I'm getting ready to go to bed that night. And of course, you know, we have no, can't turn on any lights. Oh, there's no school. Right. We didn't go back to school till February because you have to have bomb shelters and gas masks mm. in order to go back to school. So I'm getting ready to say my nighttime prayers and I'm kneeling down by the bed and I thought I heard her. Well, she's not under the bed. So she must be under the house part that's under the bed. So dad gets a flashlight. And we don't have basements in Hawaii. We have like crawl spaces. Crawl spaces, yeah. With a lot of stuff. Yep. So we get down on our hands and knees and we'd looked there before. But you know how sometimes the light headlights say catch the green of an yeah. animal's eyes. A little glow. We the green of an animal's eyes. Mm. And we had to drag her out. I'll bet she was so terrified oh, from all oh, the bombings. Oh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Well, Gail, I know what my dog does now with firecrackers. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, plus then you're all gone at the same time. Yes. I mean, that's scary. Yes. I'm so happy to hear the hula girl was okay. I was very worried yes. about hula girl. All right. So now it's about going back to life. Here you are where you lived was so close to where yeah. all the destruction Just was. Blocks away. Yeah. A few blocks away, right? Mm -hmm. So how does life at all go back to normal? Like what what are the next things that happen there in in the Pearl Harbor area? The fire burns forever and ever. And I remember watching 9-11 burn, and all of a sudden I had kind of this body memory and I'm thinking what is going on with me and then I remember that's exactly the way Pearl Harbor looked um rain in New York didn't stop but and, and it's the similar thing a skyscraper a battleship you have a uh, row after row after row of of layers and the fuel is the same you're burning that fuel. And the fuel still leaks from the Arizona. Mm. So it took forever for um, all of that and smoke-filled air 
Were you able to go down to the harbor area or no, because that was all military? Well, we could go, we couldn't go onto the water, but we could go and look. Yeah. So were you able to go down and kind of see the destruction areas? We could look across and you remember Pan Am is still there. Right. And of course, nobody's um, going to be coming to Hawaii uh, flying to Hawaii anymore. But what started to happen was we're sending the women and children away on Pan Am uh, airplanes and on ships, on military ships, mm. and then filling them up with soldiers and sailors and Marines and Coast Guard. Yeah. Wow. Did your parents know anyone who was lost in the attack? No. Oh, what a blessing. Yes. How many how many people were lost in the actual attack at Pearl Harbor? It, it was a little under 3000 and about 78 of them were civilians. I got to interview because of again my writing and research a Japanese pilot mm. um that day uh, who flew that day and I, flew that I day. Said, wow. I said, Mr. Abe, I just went to watch that movie Pearl Harbor and I shouldn't be alive. And he said, we were trained to have certain targets and Pan Am airplanes, not one bullet. Really? No, no, no. We knew, we knew those, we knew which was civilian. We knew which was military. You never were our targets. Mm. So then how does a community like the, the, the Pearl City area, how does it come back? How does it rebuild from there as you now go on six years old, seven years old, eight years old? How does that my, community come together? My father actually started the Pearl City Community Association and we started getting together and having meetings and then we all learned first aid and uh, how to take care we we did everything with the expectation the Japanese were going to come back now that's when the fear is you know the fear not that day you know just like the men in the harbor I don't know how many of them said what are our airplanes doing out here on a Sunday morning? It's not until they see the red circle right. or the torpedoes because your mindset isn't that way. But we join together and we go get our gas masks. Everybody wears gas masks. We carry them with us. And, you know, so many parts of this pandemic uh, started feeling similar to me. This part I have to laugh about is toilet paper. Do you remember toilet paper and Kleenex? Oh, yes. Well, the very <laughs> first thing in Hawaii, and no toilet paper or rice. Those yeah. were the two things. And then I thought, you guys have no idea because you did without toilet paper for maybe two weeks shortage you never yeah. even did without we sure. did without for two years what 
Yes. No kidding. Well, how are we going to get it? Hawaii is the most isolated landmass in our world. And we, you don't even get your red chief tablet for school or bubble gum. I mean, really? Because yeah. those ships have to bring soldiers and sailors in. Right. And right. we aren't going to get food. We're not going to get anything. Was it hard to get groceries and things for, yes. for a long time then? Oh, yes. In fact, if your grocery store mom and pop owner didn't like you very well, better you be careful. And so you, oh, you, do you know rationing started that very day? Hawaii put themselves on rationing and they closed the doors and they let you come in one at a time. Mm. Wow. We're not going to get anything. You can fish the ocean. Mm. You can grow vegetables. So everybody started doing chickens. My dad did rabbits. And then I named them. He got Angora rabbits. They were fluffy, black and white. And I named Mr. Patches and Mrs. Patches. (laughs) And then I wouldn't let him. Uh, Kill Mr. Patches and Mrs. Patches. But then when he wanted me to weed the victory garden, I said, yeah. well, okay. So we called it Pearl City Chicken. <laughs> and victory gardens were a big thing uh, Everybody. in World War II. So tell us a little Everybody. bit about what a victory garden is for those who don't know. Because that was a big victory, thing. Victory gardens were... Your way to be patriotic. You are not going to have those green beans in a can anymore. And the men are off fighting. They are not going to be out there picking corn and growing peas and tomatoes. You grow your own. So then we asked people of Mexico to come up and start working in gardens because we don't have any men and then we send the women to work in factories to build airplanes and repair ships yeah and then we have latchkey kids because nobody's at home now did you did you ever go through a time of of nightmares uh about pearl harbor about Uh, the attack you know i'm glad that you mentioned that because i've been wanting to say that uh, when you're asking if I was scared and all, and I'm saying, no, I wasn't. My brother and I were interviewed uh, on a, a Hawaii TV station one anniversary. And so I'm telling my story. This is the first time he shares he had nightmares. And I'm thinking, you slept through the whole thing. <laughs> what do you mean? And then when I did the child survivors of World War II, the little ones who have no voice, they hear screaming, they smell smoke, they're Mm. grabbed up. They cannot say, well, mother and father, would you please explain why I can't go home and sleep in my bed? And why is everybody so nervous and upset? And why are people crying? Right. And so they're the ones 
traumatized. So let's move on with your life then. You're you now. When did things? And I, I don't want to use the word normal, but but when did? How long did it take before? Okay, grocery stores are open and toilet paper's there. And how long before it sort of functioned like a a, a community pre it, pre attack? Well, it, it was years. Um, and we just learned to do without and, and, you know, people on the mainland did too, you know, women gave up wearing hose, those, those kinds of things. And that's why dresses got shorter mm. to save on material. And if you were military, you had no choice. Say goodbye to your dad. You're out of here. And most of my schoolmates left, even though they were civilians and my dad said, well, I'm going to send Dorinda to Missouri, not knowing I'd end up here eventually. <laughs> um, and it was all because of a cute Missouri boy in college. And I said, no, I can't leave mom in Hawaii. We sent the women and children away. So they go to California. They get dumped. Those ships come back full of servicemen. My mom and dad would not even let me go downtown because now downtown is full of these young boys, many of them who lied about their age, Mm. many of them drunk in the gutters because now we have prostitution and we have beard joints and we have tattoo parlors. That is what downtown Honolulu is gotcha. and I went to school right there Ugh. and my dad would not even let me walk through mm. there to get on the bus to come home your school grounds have bomb shelters and you have air raid drills which the air raids drills just start so you reach under your desk and open your gas mask and put it on and go out and holding your breath and go out into the hallway. And some of the schools, you actually went down into a bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. Bomb shelters are starting to be built for the office workers. And then remember, you can't go out at night. There's a curfew. Dark comes, uh-uh. You Now you get ration books. Oh, yeah. And sure. ration, you ration eggs. Maybe you're lucky if you get butter or sugar or meat. You aren't going to have those. And gasoline. And then the speed limit is 15 miles an hour. What a wild time. Wow. Because my dad worked for the post office, he could be out at night, but the sentries would stop him and he'd have to show his ID. You grew up when when you turned eighteen. You left the island. I didn't mean to, Mom. I used to say uh, <laughs> it was going to come back. I left with one suitcase, mm. so I I win this trip to Hollywood because so you really I, did. You won the trip by hula dancing. I did. Wow! And I went. Yes, and I went to Hollywood for a screen test. Oh my! Goodness. And they didn't need another Dorothy Lamour. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been off the island. It was really fun. And I stayed at the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel, and it's still there. 
That is so cool. All right. So you're in Hollywood. You do the screen test. Yeah, they didn't. Nobody signed me up. Got it. So, But I got the free trip. So um, my aunt says, hey, you're on the same island. Come visit us and sent me a ticket. And I said, I'd love to. So I land in Kansas City, Missouri. And this was in the kind of early to mid-1950s. Yes, 55. Got it. And uh, so they said, go to college here and live with us. I thought, wow, snow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was going to go home. And the, the ticket was good for a year. So I thought, I'll go to school here a year. And I'll go home. And I met this cute guy. And there's not the way it happens. <laughs> oh gosh. And I I thought I, I don't know if I could go home or not and leave this guy here. And and you're still in Missouri. Your life, Dorinda, has just been beautiful. I want to make sure to get a plug because you've done quite a bit of writing on this. Tell us about your books. I have written, I'm known as the Pearl Harbor Child, and that's the name of my website, uh, okay. pearlharborchild.com. Pearlharborchild.com. You can, see, you can awesome. see the books there. There's my personal story. And then I've done a small one. Uh, Pearl Harbor wanted me to do one for families. And so I've, I've done a version. Oh, I haven't told you one thing. Oh, my gosh. I, I, have to, oh, I have to show you. I almost forgot. This doll is me. What? Yeah, I noticed that American- there was a doll. Back I'm an American you. girl doll. What? Yes. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> but I, the phone rang uh, one day and they said, this is American girl doll. And I thought, yeah, sure it is. I wrote you years ago and you'd said you didn't want to do a Pearl Harbor doll. And I said, no, we want to now. And I said, good. Can I write the story? And they said, no, <laughs> we already have one of those. Newberry Oscar-winning authors, but we want your story. And if you go to the American Girl Doll website, um, there's a video of me talking about her uh, in Hawaii and at Pearl Harbor and me teaching my granddaughters to do the hula. Oh, Doreen. And I can't believe I almost forgot. I'm so glad. I was going to ask about it. I didn't know that was an American Girl Doll. It looked... I was going to ask if it was uh, like an It's a Small World doll. It's adorable. It's really cute. It is. I'm the only history doll of a real person. Wow. That is also alive. And so with American Girl doll and my story, we have uh, a teacher's guide. Well, I got to tell our listeners, and we'll put a link to this on our social media, but there is the cutest picture of you uh with hula girl uh on the cover pearl harbor child a child's eyewitness view from attack to peace that's that's you and hula girl right it is oh my goodness can i just say you are a national treasure you are just an absolute treasure and this history is so important that we never forget what happened there and then and Unfortunately, as each uh, December 7th goes by, we have fewer and fewer people, uh, you know, who were there to witness it. And so to be able to hear your story is just phenomenal. 
we're going to wrap things up with the way that we end uh, all of our conversations. And that is, Dorinda, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Wow. It means everything to me. The church meant so much to me, and it still does. Um, my father never joined, and the marriage never never worked out. Um, and I always felt that it was me and my mom and the church. I so remember and love my baptism day. It was you know, many are baptized in the ocean and, and so forth, but we had, um, we weren't a stake then or anything. It was called a tabernacle, uh, which ended up becoming a stake center when we got big enough. And I remember going down there and uh, stepping into a little pool to be baptized. And the church started. Uh, certainly to grow. And, and I love that. And because of the church, my happiest, happiest memories are the summers. Went to LIEA because mom was working then and, and my parents are separated. So I went down to LIEA to stay with aunts and uncles and worked in tarot fields that are now a part of the Polynesian cultural center, loved having that connection to, to my roots and um, growing up in a, you know, there I'm surrounded by, by the church and, and loved, 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 loved that. That's beautiful. Dorinda, you've done such great things with your life. This has been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, just really a fascinating part of our history. Uh, she is the Pearl Harbor child and, uh, and so much more. Dorinda Nicholson, thanks for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Mahalo. Uh, aloha. Until we meet again is ahuiho. <laughs> Thank you so much. And my special thanks to Dorinda Nicholson. Isn't she just amazing? I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her. What a, an incredible woman she is. Thank you so much, Dorinda. This week in my Latter-day life, I got to thinking about Pearl Harbor. Uh, I've actually only been there once. I've gotten to go to Hawaii many times, but Oahu only one time. And I was probably, gosh, maybe 12 years old, somewhere in there, 11 or 12 and we had the best week. My parents took us, all the kids, we, all four of us went, and we had so much fun that week. And we went and saw the sites in the Polynesian Cultural Center. But before we went down to Pearl Harbor, I still remember that my parents had uh, a talk with all of us kids and said, hey, this is a sacred place. This is where lives were lost. This is a place where we're not going to make jokes and we're not going to laugh and run around. We instead are, are going to pay attention and see how we feel and listen to the stories. And I remember when we got there feeling like it was very different from the rest of our trip and just what a sacred, incredible place it was. And as we walked out onto the dock overlooking the boats and, and just being there and trying to picture what it was like 
And there were veterans there who had been there serving at that time. And I remember one man, very emotional. It was his first time back. Now, mind you, this was more than 35 years ago. We have lost so many who were there, which is why it's so special to hear Dorinda's firsthand account. Uh, But what a special place it was. And I've had that feeling a few times in my life. Uh, New York is a very special place to me. And uh, last, well, it was probably three years ago, we did New Year's Eve in New York. We actually did New Year's Eve in Times Square. It was incredible. Uh, Three or four years ago, and we went to the 9-11 Museum. And I remember that same feeling for people who had lost. I've gotten to go to Berlin many times, which is a blessing. And just walking around Berlin and going to other parts of Germany, and I've been to some of the areas of the concentration camps, and those feelings of the lives that are lost. And what's wonderful and sad at the same time is it gives me such an appreciation of life. I'm grateful I get to go to those places and see And, uh, you know, some of the Civil War areas that I've been, uh, all these places where many lives were lost, this is hollowed ground. This is really special. uh, These are special places. And, but it gives me an appreciation for life. I'm afraid that our world is somewhat devaluing life. You know, we see so much violence in television and represented in the media And now that the internet is so connected, you hear about lives that are lost, and it's easy to just kind of think, oh, yeah, whatever. I didn't know them, and we can move on with our lives. I think it's so important that we go to places like Pearl Harbor or locally. Even, you know, we went down to Mountain Meadow, where the Mountain Meadow Massacre was, a terrible, terrible chapter in our church's history. And to be able to go down there and to see what modern prophets have said about what happened there and to read about the lives that were lost, you know, it gives you a real sense of appreciation for your own life and the lives of our family. It's uh, one thing that I know is that uh, God values life. I know that, and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful for survivors who tell their stories. And I'm grateful for those who went before us who didn't survive, but who lost their lives in different causes to know that they are in a better place, that they are with God, and that one day we will be too. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. The Latter-day Lives podcast is produced by Gene Chittister. Social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>